Welcome to Shift with CJ. I'm your host CJ and together we will explore the areas of health, human performance, biohacking, psychology and much more that will inspire you to become the best version of yourself. To the special episode of the Shift with CJ podcast. Why is it special? Because most of our podcasts have been doing online, but now I'm focusing on finding the masters living close to me. And today I have found one such one. She is, if you're looking at this from your TV screens or your iPads or iPhones, you can see she's right here with me. Now, the question is, who is she? My guest on this show today is the founder and CEO of Positive Living UAE. She's been in this region of the world for 23 years originally from peru and she does all sorts of stuff she's essentially a coach a facilitator who helps people with conscious parenting helps people with just becoming a better version of themselves whether it's removing any kind of blockage or you know helping them access their natural healing states or calming states so everyone put your hands together for luz maria luz welcome to the show Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here collaborating with you, providing some information that some people might find it interesting and revealing and that might, might cause um, reflection and aha moment that they will say, oh, this sounds familiar. So happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so grateful that the universe connected our paths. And, you know, for everyone who's listening, we've been trying to... Um, get this arranged for some time now and i'm so happy we finally managed to do it true now uh, tell me you're from far far away <laughs> peru and i noticed because i recently went to peru and i spent two days on an average just getting there and how did you come from peru which is super far to <laughs> uae that two 23 years ago yeah, I know. That's the million dollar question, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I guess is is the, the 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 strongest tool in the humanity's necessity, I guess, right? Is the need of us to survive. And I guess this is what took me here to Dubai. I I knew at a very young age that I wanted more. I wanted more for my family. I wanted to protect my family. My mother like I was a single mother mm-hmm. of five kids. And I saw her struggles. I saw her, you know, constant hassling of, you know, surviving in a country like Peru, like you saw, which now is much better than when I was born, um, a third world country where there is a lot of poverty. So from a very young age, I knew that I wanted to, to do more. I wanted to travel. It was always in me that I wanted to go outside of Peru to find better opportunities. And I was very blessed to be exposed in a very pintoresque city of Cusco in Machu Picchu, if, if you know where yes, that is. Yes, beautiful city. Yeah, so I was exposed to tourists, a lot of tourists who would speak in different languages. And I was very curious. I was a very curious teenager listening to the English words and learning from the tourists that we call gringos. Mm-hmm. And so I, I listened and I learned English just by listening and I start talking. And then... In a couple of months or, yeah, months, I was guiding them, you know, telling them about the history and culture and religion and so many things about my country. And I started making a living out of it. So I became a tour guide. And that gave me the the platform to to go out of Peru. I traveled to Germany because I wanted to learn German. And I did went to Germany and I did learn German. And in the process, also Italian, because I was working as a waitress. So I do speak now four languages and Arabic, which is a bit broken. But so that's how I came to Dubai. I came with the with the dream, with the goal to be a provider to my mom, to my brothers. And that's what I did. Initially, that was the reason why I came to Dubai. And yeah, that, that's what took me here. Well, that's that's a fascinating story. And especially <laughs> that if you could have learned German, it looks like you can learn any other language. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> so you're, and your story is very inspiring because a lot of people would, Today's world is different because we have access to apps that can teach us English. We have mm-hmm. access to, you know, all of these things on the call of a touch. But back in the day, 23 years ago, it was so different. Yeah. And um, yeah, that is very inspiring to me. 
now you're traveling the world you're doing all these different jobs you get to dubai how do you transition into being a health and wellness expert ah uh, that's a very interesting question so i came with the goal of making financial means for my mother and that's what i did so i i guess one of my develop patterns to survive was the thriving the performing i was very good at that so any skill you would give me knowledgeable skill intellectual skill i will be very good at but here is the thing emotionally i was a very uh, fragile human being because we in peru and like i said my mother was a single mother she was always working we were not raised with so much of emotional support emotional availability you know of, of a parent that builds this attachment and protection and connection i did not have that it was a luxury for me as a child to be nourished to be held in a safety space and 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 with an emotional availability and that is something i did not have so when i came to dubai and i was this thriver and you know achiever emotionally i was very fragile and so i i i went into a very toxic relationship that lasted for very many years several years 17 years with my ex relationship and 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 i always knew that being married to a person that we couldn't connect emotionally not to mention the cultural differences that we had i was very unhappy and i didn't know why I didn't know why was I so unhappy. I had the money, I have the financial means. Like you say, I was traveling around the world literally because one of my employers was Emirates Airlines who gave us free tickets as for the employees. So I was traveling everywhere. I was going to Hong Kong, China, Vietnam, Cairo, Italy, you name it. But I was not happy. So that's when I started to ask questions to reflect why am I not happy and why am I still here in this relationship that became a little bit toxic and I started to dig on the mind I started to read books about therapy and you know counseling psychology and it fascinated me that we all we all as humans uh can't behave in ways that are actually patterns patterns of 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 behaviors that we learned when we were very little when we were children so basically after many years of studying psychology and working on counseling i realized that i was basically coping the 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 generational trauma that i had from my mother i became my mother you know so i became this very submissive woman who was always working 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 surviving just for the means of financials but inside i was empty i was you know i did not have a proper love and connection so that was the catalyst i would say my relationship was the catalyst that made me grow that made me to reflect but there must be more this cannot be the natural state of a human right so that's when i came into therapy and counseling i did a lot of work on myself first i did clinical hypnosis which now i am a clinical hypnotherapist i went back to the root and the causes of my traumas i understood why i behaved the way i did and why did i attracted a man that reflected the very energy of my perpetrator which was my father mm-hmm. so uh, because again the relationship at my childhood was very toxic as well so that's how i came to therapy and and how i learned to to understand me more how how to be forgiving to myself how to love myself how to be compassionate with myself first because at that point also i had children mm-hmm. and now i had the same if i didn't heal if this catalyst was not there i would have done the same to my kids i would have transferred this generational trauma my absence of a mother not being emotionally available to them i didn't want that see i didn't want that i wanted to give my kids the nurture the love the compassion the connection that i did not have mm-hmm. and it took a lot of me it, it, it was painful to give something you don't have so you have to heal first you have to peel like an onion mm-hmm. 
the layers of your, you know, patterns of your covers of your ego patterns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's how I come. Well, that's very interesting. Thank you for sharing that story mm -hmm. with us. I really My. appreciate that. How many percentage of people do you think at this point, now we're talking about your journey spread over, a, you know, a long time, but things are changing. We've got millennials, then we got Gen Zs. Things are fast paced. Things mm -hmm. people have more things available to them. Parents probably have more time for kids now. But mm -hmm. how much percentage of what you face before you started your healing do you see in people these days? Like, oh is it God. is it the same repeated patterns, or are we getting better as humans, or are we still <laughs> stuck on the same thing? Oh my God, that's a very interesting question. So if you ask me in terms of percentage, and we are talking now in terms of therapy and counseling yeah. and consciousness, yeah? Mm -hmm. Because let's let's clarify something which I want to say as well uh, to my mother, for example. There is no resentment right now that I feel towards my mother. I, mm -hmm. To the contrary, through my healing and my own journey, I realized that all her behavior as not being there present was out of, first of all, lack of resources because she had no choice, she had to work, and also lack of knowledge, information. So it was purely ignorance, yes? And and I say this with a lot of love and compassion towards my mother because, poor thing, bless her heart, she was trying to survive. So her behavior was un conscious and just to clarify that word that it's very easy to talk right it's very trendy now talking about subconscious and conscious but people really don't understand what that means and consciousness is something you do being present taking decisions of full presence of what is the consequence taking in consideration the consequences of your choices with my mother and with what i explained she was not doing this consciously she was just surviving. She was not living. She was surviving. So her behavior was unconscious. And this is why when you ask me this question of how many percentage of people are unconscious, now more than ever, I would say we have a lot of people and parents that are very loving to their kids. They do love their kids. I have no doubt. I think most of the parents love genuinely their kids but they are unconscious because we are caught up into the doing, into being, into this world of form. And just for people who, who maybe say, what is she talking about? We are so caught up in the social media, in the Instagram, in the selfies we post, on the pictures, on the, in so much that we did not have before. So before it was matter of resources, like I said, surviving food, you know, means of living. That was our limitation before why we did not have available parents, but we had connection. We could be outside playing with our friends and, you know, have an extended family. You could have had some certain connection to some point or another. But right now we live in a world where we are so much into the doing because there are so much things going around us, so much distractions. And I would say there is more than ever parents that are unconscious of their behaviors because in their heads, they might be thinking, but I'm doing the right thing. I'm, I'm putting my son into activities. He's doing basketball or football or this and that. But genuinely, what the child needs is connection. It's true presence of a parent who will be there asking questions connecting with the child knowing the authenticity of the child that is a connection that you can only get and it's more precious and valuable when you are a child because as you grow actually you become more autonomous this is why teenagers when they are when they have 15 or 16 years old they don't want anymore to be told what to do and to be around parents. Now this is the time, the transition where they become adults. They are in between being a child, but also becoming an adult individual. So childhood is so precious in so many ways because that's when we get the love. It is in our childhood when we get the love and it's in our adulthood that we give the love that we have received. It's simple as that. So again, to answer your question, 
I'm afraid that now in this century, we are so many parents that are unconscious. There are mm-hmm. so many. Yeah. I like what you brought up about how um, people, when like kids, when they're transitioning into mm-hmm. being teenagers, they have this rebellious sort of a nature. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. if your dad is telling you something, he's probably the wrong person. Like, you know, even if he's saying the right thing, yes. you feel like he's yes. the wrong person. And you see similar patterns emerge in nature as well, even with animals. Absolutely. The, you know, when they're younger, yes, they're closer to their, you know, just their pride, just with the group. And as in some, in some cases, as the, as the animal starts becoming older, they have this whole separate, in some places like uh, gorillas and stuff, they would even fight their parents to de- gain dominantship. Mm-hmm. And this is a pattern that we see throughout history. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, funny thing is, you know, most of the times when you ask kids, like, you know, if a father says something, they don't listen to it. But one trick that I, and I want to ask your opinion on this, is that your father's friends would probably be your heroes all the time because they always look down on the father, but they look at the father's <laughs> friends. So if someone wants to get something across, is it a good idea to just tell, like, if I was a father, I could just tell my friend who my uh, son looks up at and just tell him, can you please tell him that idea? Because if I tell him, he's not going to listen. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, that's a good idea, <laughs> certainly. And what you're explaining now in psychology, we call it counter will. You know, Daniel Siegel, who is a very famous and a pioneer in psychology, he mentioned this and it happens mainly or most of the time when we are teenagers. Yeah, that counter will, because that counter will is actually healthy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's healthy to say no to our parents. It is healthy. Yeah. You know why? Because that is our authenticity. That's our autonomy. That's how we build our character of knowing who we are. We are when we are teenagers, as we grow as, as humans, as mammalians, in the teenagerhood, we need to be who we want to be. We want to be our own self, our authentic self. When we are little children, we don't know who we are. We don't know. We are too young and immature. Our brain is so immature to understand who we are. And authenticity, and I'm going to quote my mentor, Dr. Gabor Mate, who is an amazing physician, and a a pioneer psychotherapist, he said there is two primary needs of a human, two things that we need. Without these two things, we will be the most unhappy human being. So these two things are attachment and authenticity. So attachment is the drive that is in each of us mammalians to be loved and support and held by another individual. This is why children at a very young age, they need a mom or a dad. It doesn't matter if it's the man or the dad, but one person that holds the child, loves the child, one person that the child looks, if there is two, by all means, even better. But the human needs at least one attachment that they look up to and that they feel protected by and safe with and that they look up to like a role model. That is a necessity. We need to be held and be supported in this sense of being love. That's one attachment. But there is the other one that is also very essential for us as humans, which is the authenticity. That is a gift that the source, the universe, or whatever religion you believe, it gives you. That authentic self that you are. And that authenticity can only be developed if your parents allow the unfolding of the person that you came to be in this world. But what happens in some cultures, one of them, my culture, or maybe in Asia, is that parents sometimes don't want to accept what the children are. And they tell the child what they need to be or what they need to become. And even in their in their childhood experiences, if the child is too hyper or perhaps the child is creative but is not so much into math or maybe the child is, he wants to play, connect, talk, but the parents don't have the time, that authenticity starts to vanish because the child needs what? Attachment. And so if the child has to give up their authenticity in exchange of attachment, they'll do that without any doubt. But that should never be ideally an option. Both should be equally important. So in other words, a child should need 
or would would ideally have love, support, friendship of the parent, and at the same time, the acceptance of what the child is. Mm -hmm. So these two are very important. Nice. Thank you for sharing that. One thing that I can think of right now is, you know, looking at how my childhood was and like people around me, there is this whole culture of comparison as well, mm -hmm. because now I'm not sure. And you know this better than me, like what is going on in today's world. But let's if you rewind back 20, 30 or 40 years, mm -hmm. most of the parents would want your, their child, like you said, they would imply something like you have to become a doctor or you have to do mm -hmm. something you have to carry on a family legacy of businesses mm -hmm. or you know whether it's being a carpenter or a technician but you have to follow the same thing but i also believe that every human on this planet whether from the child they're they're com they're completely different and unique in their way they're not just because you're born into a family of doctors doesn't mean that, you know, your fate is to become a doctor. Correct. Every child comes with their own energy, energy field, future in place. And even from a very young age, they develop certain characteristics, mm -hmm. which will help them in the future to develop a certain, but either, we can either call it a career or like a position or doing something good in this world. But these things are unique to every child. And even if you have twins, you don't see both the twins have the same thing. Absolutely. And, but most of the times, like you mentioned, parents would always try to imply what they prefer is better. And doing this, a lot of children also lose their sensitivity to things. Yeah. Where, you know, if you, a child might be sensitive to some different kind of noise or presence or something that is out of the ordinary mm -hmm. and then if a parent just says oh that's nothing just just go to sleep yeah and i think doing this also detaches them from their authentic self is that yes, correct totally absolutely you are describing it beautifully and very eloquently yes because the the problem with us the parents if we did not heal if we did not do the work within ourselves we project we project our own fears. So if I'm a mother who came, for example, me from Peru and I'm very poor, I was poor as a child, the last thing I want is my child to be poor like I was because mm. my fear, my irrational fear would be, no, he needs to thrive and have a degree and be a doctor or an engineer because I want him to have money. So if he has money, he's going to be happy. Mm. You see how I projected that my own my own lack on him, that's mm -hmm. a projection right there. So if you as a parent don't become, and this is why I call myself, uh, you know, conscious parenting coach, is because the, the, the parenting coaching has nothing to do with the child. The child is absolutely a whole human, a beautiful divine mm -hmm. being, if you allow it to be like this. But the problem is with the parents because we are already conditioned by our society and our own traumas and our own lack and fears and, and, you know, traumas of the childhood that if we do not heal that, we will project into our children. So by all means, I appreciate parents wanting the best for their children, but that best that they have an idea or a movie in their heads that they want to give it to the children belongs to them. It has nothing to do with the child. and so. This is where the work has to be done in the parents understanding, okay, I want to love, support my child unconditionally because this is the myths. These are the myths of parenting. And again, I want to quote my mentor so that I don't, you know, dismiss the credit they have. Dr. Dr. Shefali Tasavari, who is an Indian child psychologist, she wrote a book, which I brought that book there, The Conscious Parent. And she talks about the myths of parenting, the myths that we have by, we have bought in our society, yes, that we parents, we must shape and create a child ahead of the curve. That does not happen. We do not shape or, 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 or raise a child. The child is a whole human being that came into this world because you brought them into this world. They don't owe you anything to the parent they are just human beings that came to this world and the only thing they want from you is guidance and leadership through your own example 
through your own example. So if you are a person who, for example, I, I, I have this example all the time with the parents that I treat, right? Ah, oh, you know, my child, he's an introvert or he doesn't like to study. I never see him reading a book and he doesn't like, I have to force him, tell him a hundred times to read or do things. And I'm asking myself to the parents, do you read? Have you read with the child? Do, does the child sees you reading? As an example. Or, yes, as an example. Because it's one thing me telling you as a parent, you have to read your books. But I never see, they never see you reading. It's another thing you say, come, my love, let's read a book, to, book together. Let's have this time, you and me just reading and then teaching them through Atlas or wherever. And then the child will create a connection with the parent and we'll understand, mm, I like this, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it, it comes naturally then that the child will follow you. Mm -hmm. And that is what actually discipline means. We have misunderstood this word. Mm -hmm. Discipline comes from disciple, from the Latin word disciple, like all the very dear people in religion, Prophet Muhammad, Jesus, they had disciples mm -hmm. following them naturally. They were not obliged to follow Jesus or Prophet Muhammad, you know, so peace be upon him. It wasn't forced. It was something that the disciples that did it voluntarily. Mm -hmm. And that can happen also with the children yeah. if you know how to lead them with your own example. Yeah, I also completely believe that children are, you know, they always look at what their parents are doing mm -hmm. and they try to mimic it. Yes. especially at an early age yes. they want to be as cool as dad or mom because sometimes there is also a disconnect between belongingness and they feel that by doing something that mom is doing i will she'll see me as herself or this is and this is an unconscious totally behavior, yes right? beautiful what you said that's hypnosis that's hypnosis on its core mm -hmm. we hypnotize our children in the very early years of of their lives Every word a parent said to a child is the word of God because mm -hmm. you are the parent. You are the most important person in the life of a child. So if you tell the child, oh, you are so beautiful and I love you and you make me so happy and you are smart, intelligent, the child is going to believe that. Mm -hmm. Trust me, he or she will be. But if you tell to a child, oh, you could be like your cousin or you could be like this yeah. comparison, you could be like this or you should be like that, you should be the child is going to think that, oh God, you know, I'm, I'm not enough. I'm not enough for my mommy and that she's not going to love me. So I'm going to comply to her requirements so that then I can belong to her and I can mm -hmm. be somebody and, and then she can see me and then she can validate me. So you see, and this is where the patterns, the, the, the beginning of the patterns start of being perhaps an over empathetic person you know always a pleaser a martyr because when you were a little child that's what you needed to do to get validation and love and sense of belonging i also see a lot of the athlete culture in the world having the same sort of a mindset because this need for validation it mm. is so strong and yeah. growing now we're talking about a kid who's like four five six seven years old but then you multiply that age and then by the time this person becomes 20, 30, they're trying to not just validate this information to their parents, but to the rest of the world. Whether it is like, you know, waking up at 4 a.m. and starting running, doing unnormal things when you look at the mass population, yeah. like, which 90% of the people will not do. People try to do that. And most of the overachievers, I feel that have a certain kind of, they're not driven by this whole idea of achieving something they're more driven by checking the box and telling themselves i did something yeah. so you know is that proving to this invisible force or proving to your own ego i yeah. see this a lot in athletes and because yeah. most of the times i train with them and i tell them it's an addiction. why are you doing this it, it becomes an addiction yeah. because that's already an addiction you're describing me an addictive behavior because it's no more of of, of fulfilling that that happiness of you doing it, but it's more of like, I need to do that because it gives me more validation. People are going to like me more. They're going to like my posts. Social blah, blah. media. Exactly. Yes. So this is the seeking of an addiction. And an addiction is so misunderstood in the society. An addiction follows under these four symptoms. Mm -hmm. Anything that follows under these four symptoms, it's an addiction. And again, I quote Dr. Gabor Mate, who described it, described it like this. An addictive behavior doesn't have to be substances. 
So we, it's not only drugs, alcohol, mm -hmm. you know, all other stuff that we know commonly. But an addiction gives these four categories. It's something you do and you crave. You crave doing it all the time. It's something that gives you a sense of relief or a satisfaction or something like validation. It's something you cannot give it up on your own. You cannot give it up on your own. You can't stop doing it because you keep craving it. But on the long term, it is harming to you because mm. there is no balance. So you, you know, you do it and it's harming you at the end of in the long term. So that's an addictive behavior. Anything that follows under under these four category symptoms, it's an addiction. So yeah, you're right. Some some of the athletes that you mentioned might be addictive behavior. Yeah, so thank you for mentioning, theory. like uh, giving that explanation. I think that is very beautifully um, explained. Thank you for that. And thank you for your mentors for sharing that with us mm -hmm. here. And for anyone who's listening, you know, think about this. Do you or the any of the behaviors that you might justify, do does it fall under any of these four? Or does it fall under all of these four? And if it does, then probably it's time to do some self-reflection, looking at why it is there, asking yourself, being curious. You don't have to, you know, the essence of curiosity by itself is so powerful because once you start understanding and you start questioning and you start taking it in, magic can happen. But here's a question for you. Now we've been talking about how, how a person's behavior or mindset or something like a projection works. but here's a question I had for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Let's say a, a mother and a father have a young child and now they, and I've seen this in many households, they pretend to be, you know, in love with each other. And sometimes the mother or the father might have emotions of jealousy, anger, fear, resentment, but they try their best not to show it in front of the kids. So they have to go to the other room and show it. Mm -hmm. But do you think that kids only pick up these behaviors when you show it to them? Or there is some natural way mm -hmm. of them? Because there has been some research that yeah. people like kids can sense the fear, even if their parents aren't showing it to them. And then they become fearful in the future. So what's your idea on this? That's a beautiful question. So let's break this answer because you mentioned very interesting points. First of all, emotions, fear, judgment, anger, rage, mm. sadness, happiness. These are all valid feelings, all of them, even sadness or anger, rage. Mm. It's, it's a valid feeling. We, we are humans of emotions. So there is no, no bad, quote unquote, bad emotion pain, sadness, it's, mm -hmm. it's valid. It's how our body shows us what's happening inside of us. Now, when you said that sometimes parents want to disguise this or hide it, let me tell you something, especially when we are children, we are so sensitive. Our senses are awakened because it's part of our nature to sense more because we are learning from our environment. We are learning the cues that will let us to teach how to survive. So basically our intuition is being formed in the very early years of our lives. So if I'm a mother, let's say, that I'm pretending and just disguising my sadness and I'm not showing and I'm smiling and yes, my love and yes, my, but inside of me I'm sad, trust me, the child will sense that. And the, the child will sense that because this is actually scientific. Like I was mentioning to you, I think, in one of our conversations, Dr. Daniel Siegel did research, and people can Google Daniel Siegel, and he has a book called The Whole Brain Child. I think, yeah, I brought it with me. And he talks about this. It's called neuro interpersonal neurobiology. Inter, so two people, interpersonal neurobiology. So it's that energy that we are doing right now as we are talking we are connecting we are attuning with each other we are exchanging this openness of curiosity towards the topic and we are exchanging our brains are exchanging energy and and the same thing happens with the mother with the child if i'm just pretending that i'm okay but inside there is sadness the child will sense that sadness the child will know that there is something wrong with mom 
And at times, because the child is the child, will start to trigger you perhaps too much emotions with him because he's actually taking in your energy. So the child will become maybe cranky or mommy, 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 you know, them. and then because you are holding this sadness or frustration, you might blow. And that's what we call the triggers. Yes, mm -hmm. we get triggered and boom, yeah. everything comes out, right? So I would say it's unsustainable to pretend or to deny the emotions that we have because in some way or another, they are going to come out. And in fact, one of the things that you say it's very interesting is that if we neglect the feelings we have, such as sadness, rage, or whatever, happiness or frustration, we're just pressing them down. This is why we have something called depression. Depression. You are mm -hmm. pressing, you are denying your own feelings. Mm -hmm. And so ideally, I would invite people uh, when they recognize that they are having an, a strong emotion, is be compassionate to themselves. Ask the question. And, and this is the approach in therapy that I use called compassionate inquiry. It's an approach to psychology mm -hmm. developed by Dr. Gabor Mate. And is that what it says? An inquiry with compassion. Why am I feeling like this? Why is it that when I'm with my husband or my wife, I feel that he makes me feel angry or he or she makes me. We, we always say that, yeah. right? But in reality, they are not doing anything to you. Mm -hmm. This is happening to you because there is something within you that is getting triggered. Yeah. And generally, that is a wound. That is an emotional wound that belonged to the past. But th that person right in front of you is activating that wound. Mm -hmm. It could be your partner. It could be your boss. It could be your child. And so the emotions needs to be processed, needs to be acknowledged. And I always give this metaphor to my clients. So an emotion is like a guest. It's mm -hmm. like a guest that you invite to your house. So it comes into your body, sadness, happiness, rage. You acknowledge it. You invite. It comes naturally because it's showing you that it needs to be there in your body. And then you must allow it to go. If you hold into it, you will hold it and not let go, whether it's sadness, rage, frustration. It's going to stay. But you're holding it because you are pressing it. You're putting it down. So... You need to allow it to come to you. It comes. You ask the question with compassion. Why am I feeling like this? Where is this sensation coming from? And then generally your brain will reply to you through a thought. Oh, okay. I'm thinking about this. And oh, okay. I see. And then with compassion, you allow it to go and, you know, come back to yourself and mm -hmm. come back to the present moment where perhaps you are with your child or your husband, wife, and, you know, process that emotion. So it doesn't work very well if you're like watching TV and one hand is on Instagram yeah, and the second no. hand is on something else. No, of course it wouldn't <laughs> work. That is being completely unconscious. And the, the, the thing you said before, even animals, yeah. even animals understand the value of presence. Mm -hmm. If you watch a cat or a dog or the lioness in the jungle, when they are with their cubs, with their mm -hmm. children, they are there. The lioness is sitting there and the cubs are playing. And in that presence of the mother, the, the little cubs are playing because they feel safe. Mom is there so we can play. And on the playing, they are learning to hunt. Mm -hmm. They are moving their paws, they are jumping, they are playing, you know, fighting with each other. So that's the beauty of presence. Even animals know that. If you observe a cat dog with little animals, they are also the same. Mm -hmm. The cubs will only play in the presence of the mother or the mm -hmm. father. And so same thing with us mammals, humans. It is in our presence when we are present fully with our children or with your husband that people can feel that sense of, okay, I'm important. That's why my mom is here. Mm -hmm. I'm important to her. I'm, I must be important. I must be relevant to her. That's why she's with me. Mom yeah. is with me. I'm as important as her work, as her gym, as her friends. I love that. Mom is not in the phone, in Instagram or Facebook, on yeah. doing three, four things. No, yeah. she's with me. And that means I must be worth it. Important. And that's when the self-esteem mm -hmm. comes in the childhood. That's when we form in the limbic brain our self-esteem. Mm -hmm. From that, from the time, from the presence of a parent. That's mm -hmm. how our self-esteem is 
Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Especially, you know, you help clear a very big thing because I I ask this question because I see this often that parents will just you know hide their emotions and just there's this whole analogy that if I don't show it, no one would know it. Ah. Oh. No. But we understand that, you know, with interpersonal neurobiology or there's other forces that govern things which are very unexplainable on this planet. There, it's never that you can hide you things. Can. So, yeah. you know, you do an experiment where, you know, most of the people would have understood this one point in their life that they enter a room and maybe there is just one person and this person has never spoken to them. But depending on how this person is feeling at this point, they either get excited and want to talk to this person or the person has never even saw you but they start feeling this closeness that mm -hmm. comes from this person's energy we see it in horse riding when you go to ride a horse yeah your and we call it the heart rate variability in a way mm -hmm. when how your heart is responding how your energy sent one of the most powerful energy centers of connection which is your heart mm -hmm. responds with another human or animal because if you're nervous while you're riding a horse the horse will sense it faster Absolutely, than anyone else yes. even if you don't get on it and if you're confident that horse will never give you any kind of trouble so this is something that with science we can even quantify yeah and i really love the fact that you said that you know even if you're talking to someone you don't know them there is an invisible amount of exchange going on and even if you're you know this is another thing that i would like to highlight for everyone you know just don't be there for the sake of being there be there because you really want to be there mm -hmm. when you're having a conversation with mm -hmm. someone it's not just because you know maybe sometimes you know we have a fast-paced life sometimes people think that i have to get a target or achieve something out of a conversation but most of the times the other person will feel it so yeah. when you're not present when you're not your authentic self people feel it is you cannot hide it for you so long you cannot hide it that's true so now we spoke about so much about parenting but you mentioned this whole depression thing and it's really interesting way of looking at how you depress your emotions and how that again given a few years make up so many different things because now we know that emotions can also reside in parts of your body yeah and at a later stage maybe 40 years from now when you're having an emotion of like let's say fear or anxiety and you keep on depressing it and it shows up it might show up in your life as like a liver failure or like a kidney function yes. failure yes and you know the chinese or the traditional the oriental side of the traditional chinese uh, medicine has always been saying this that every emotion relates to a certain organ in the body absolutely and what happens is after a certain amount of time if you go to a doctor and you tell them okay i have some kidney problems and they do everything they can and they cannot fix it but with that same person if you ask them to lower down their anxiety suddenly their kidney problem goes away because they're trying to manage it from a different you know process totally. but let's say for this depression thing now we know that about 300 million people in this world are depressed and even more people will be depressed in the future and are going through all of this complicated um, you know brain related problems so why do you think that is happening is it because we suppress our emotions or what's what's really going on uh, in the world right now it's exactly what you say we are suppressing our emotions we don't have time to process our emotions we are more busy trying to achieve have titles money social media showing our you know selfies traveling mm -hmm. to places and we don't have time to actually connect with the most important parts of us which is our body our emotions to acknowledge our beingness mm -hmm. and it's scientific like you say the the body keeps the score there is even a book written about that body yeah keeps body that. keeps the score or when the body says no i think vessel van der Kork, uh, was the person who wrote that book and he talks about that when the, the body keeps the score and there is even a say that what you cannot weep with tears mm -hmm. your organs will 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 weep so certainly that's mm -hmm. what's happening in the world and it's because we are so caught up in the world of achieving mm -hmm. of doing of getting validations instant gratifications that we do not focus in actually what matters the most mm -hmm. which is our body our self care self love 
self-awareness of what we need, what our body needs. For instance, eating well, eating healthy food, um, meditating, connecting more to what's happening inside of us, you know, what we did before mm -hmm. we started, you know, going into the inner world, into your inner world. What's happening? Just a simple exercise of closing your eyes and just noticing what's happening in your head, you will realize that your head is so crowded with thousands and thousands of thoughts of doing, mm -hmm. always taking you either to go in the future or reminiscing about in the past, bad things that happen or even good things that happen. And so your brain keeps going on and on and on. And it's, it's, it's exhausting, you know? So certainly what you said is it's, it's scientific. The body mm -hmm. will eventually give you a bill and tell you <laughs> like no that. more. Like yes, yes. So what can people do? Like we mentioned um, eating well, meditating, yes. you know, calming the thing. But yes. what would be some of your other tips for specifically for mental health? For mental health, I would say like, like I said, eating well, exercising. Is so there a special sort of diet that is it like keto, <laughs> vegan, paleo? Or... Uh, yeah, well, I, I will be the first person to say I'm a foodie. I come from Peru. Don't yes. forget that. We have amazing food, lots of carbs. So we put chicken and rice and potato at the same time. But yeah, so I'm a foodie, I must yeah. say. But yes, certainly eating healthy, balanced. I do eat healthy as well. Um, meditating for me is important because it's going away from the noises of, 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 of the social media, of the doing, of the achieving. And, and we are so addicted to that. That's the mm -hmm. thing. We are addicted to the thought pattern of achieving. It is an addiction in itself. What do you have in mind for social media? Like what's your strategy? How do you balance social mm -hmm. media? Yeah. So I'm very conscious. I, I can literally notice when I'm being addicted to this device which scientifically causes to release dopamine as much as cocaine so this is literally a studies that nobody wants to show because of course apple i guess is going to be very affected mm. by the studies but it creates so much dopamine so when i'm in the phone realistically what i do is i made a conscious decision and again like i say conscious decision mean i'm present that I will only look at my phone when it's work-related. And if I'm eating with my children, we're having lunch, it is forbidden to have devices. Mm -hmm. And trust me, children will help you with this. They will <laughs> tell you, mom, you said no phones on the table. Yeah. I'm like, okay, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me. And so I leave the phone. So I make conscious decisions to cut, you know, the time that I am in the phone unless it's necessary, because let's face it, we are also in living in this modern society where commu we communicate through these devices. We don't have to demonize these mm -hmm. devices. They are absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. you, 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 I can read my audible books through, through Apple phone and you know I can do a lot of positive habits mm -hmm. through these devices, but everything in balance. Because at some point I can see it and I can recognize that Oh, you know, you start watching one, uh, what is it called? Reels. This application, not the real TikTok. TikTok. Yes. Gee, you put one like and it takes you to another. And it's so interesting yeah. because it's something that psychologically they designed this to make you be attached to it. So it's like, oh, I want to see more. And so I make a conscious decision to minimize the hours that I spent on the phone only when it's necessary. I meditate. I like to train. That's for me also a very important routine. You've I, done CrossFit, didn't you? Yes, yes. I'm still doing it. Although my chiropractor said, Luz, it's time to let go. But no, I'm still there. Mm -hmm. And yes, I love I love doing CrossFit, for example. Mm -hmm. But see, it's not an addictive behavior. And how do I know that? Because sometimes when I'm tired, I, I am tired and I recognize that. I'm like, okay, no, I'm not going to go. And then there is this voice in my head, mm -hmm. yes, that duality, that polarity in the head that says, oh, but you're not going to go, you know, you're not going to achieve. Your friends are going to be now better at the snatch or this yeah. or that. And I'm like, no, thank you for, mm -hmm. for telling me this. But no, I actually am going to rest. I take a conscious decision. Nope, I'm not going mm -hmm. to listen to you because my body is telling me to rest and I'm going to choose to listen to my body. And mm. so I stay. So yeah, it's, it's being conscious. I mm. would say the secret to have a mental, a, a proper healthy mental stage is to be aware, to be conscious. Mm. I, I, I always say this to my clients, you can only heal 
what you understand. So if you understand yourself and if you are compassionate to understand what's happening in you, you are able to heal. But how difficult is it or easy is it oh, to understand yeah, yourself? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a question. Not even understand how difficult it is to be conscious, not to allow our mind to take us to the thought process, the constant demand of your head of telling you no you have to do this oh no no you forgot to do that no you have but remember you wanted to do this and do 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 that's the difficult part is the Mm -hmm. the pause is the pause and the stillness just to okay i know i could have done this but i'm gonna choose to be here now Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna be with whether it's with your partner in a relationship i just want to be connecting with my partner i want to be without phones you just need to observe. It's so sad to see now, go to a mall or a coffee shop, see couples. They don't even talk to each other. Oh, my God. They are both persons on the phone. They don't talk Sometimes to each other. Sometimes liking each other's pictures. I am believable. Where is the connection? I mean, I'm an old school, you know. I'm, I'm not that young. Yeah. You're younger than me, but we used to write letters. How nice yeah. was that, you know, or, or talk, bond. That Now it's phone, 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 mm-hmm. phone. So, yeah, that's the difficult part, I no, guess. Thank you for sharing that, especially, you know, people who are listening. Uh, I think there's this whole thing about this iPhone effect that if you're having a conversation with someone, and this is why my iPhone, I've hidden it here, because if you have it in sight, yeah, I feel like a part of your consciousness gets mm-hmm. stuck with it. And they've done a lot of research in Harvard and, you know, with students, with adults that even ha- knowing that your phone sometimes is present in a place where you can see it, yeah. half of your attention is on your phone. Yeah. So if you wanted to go on a date, then try to hide your phone. In our house, what we do is, at least for me, what I do is, even if I'm having lunch, dinner or something, I make sure that there the phone is in a place that I cannot even see. Like yeah. I'll hide it under a pillow yeah. and then just continue with the, uh, continue with lunch, breakfast or dinner and make sure that we're, if I'm having the food with someone, we're actually getting to know what's going on. I'm and... going to give you a, a stronger tip, okay. which I do with my clients that come to me for lo- losing weight. Okay, mm-hmm. Losing weight. Uh, they come for clinical hypnosis to be on their perfect weight. I prefer to say it, you want to be on your perfect weight yeah. rather than losing weight because mm-hmm. the mind doesn't want to lose anything. Yeah. Yes, the mind is... Yes, of course. The losing nothing is you can lose nothing. So if you are listening to this and you keep saying, I want to lose weight, it's not going to happen because the mind will never allow it. You can say instead, I want to be on my perfect weight, on my healthy weight. That's much better. So this is what it is. The mind likes run towards pleasure Mm -hmm. and away from pain. That's how the brain is designed. The mind runs towards pleasure and away from pain. So getting but, more dopamine. <laughs> yes. So here's the catch. Here's the catch. This is where the clinical hypnosis kicks in and, and I coach my clients. Here's the thing. What have you linked to pleasure is the question. Mm-hmm. And what have you linked to pain is the question. Because see, here's the thing with people that are a little bit overweight or they're having problems with the relationship with the food is that they have linked pleasure towards food that is unhealthy Mm -hmm. that maybe has too much carbs or sugar sugar is one of the biggest addiction of the brain if your brain knows there is sugar somewhere your brain is going to go there no matter what because it's very addictive once it tries it that's it Mm -hmm. so there's this is the catch you need to reteach you must reframe in your head and that's what i do with neuro-linguistic programming what do you link to pleasure? So if I'm a person that I want to be on my perfect weight and I said, oh, Luz, I want to be on my perfect weight, but I love chocolates and I love the McDonald's or I love the cars and I cannot, I don't know what to do, but I love, I want to be on my perfect weight. There you go. Two conflictive thoughts. They cannot coexist in your mind. They will be both void. So your mind is stuck because you are giving mixed signals. Oh, but you love chocolate. You like cars, but you also want to be on your paper. But but no, I don't. And so it freezes. So here is what I said to my clients. You need to now repeat, I want to be on my perfect way. I love eating healthy food. I love it. It delights me. It elates me to eat healthy food because I love to be on my perfect way. 
and then make the disconnection to the junk food or to whatever is increasing your weight. I don't like that. I hate that. That makes me not to be on my perfect weight. I hate it. I despise it. I am indifferent to that. It doesn't do anything to me. And if they could repeat that for 21 days, I promise you, the mind scientifically creates a habit. We are mammals of habits. We are humans of habits. Once we create that habit in the brain, the brains understand. The brain understands what you want. You just need to communicate and collaborate with your brain through the words that you tell in your mind. So that's that's hypnosis. That that was from my mentor Marisa Peer, yeah. who taught us in this way. It's is the relationship we give to things yeah. that makes the difference. Mm-hmm. So if I'm gonna keep saying that, oh, I eat like a pig, oh, I'm I'm starving, things like that. No, man, you're not starving. Mm-hmm. You are ready to eat. That's different. You are hungry, yes, but starving, starving is people in. In Africa or people where they're really in Yemen, yeah. which very, you know, countries that are very poor, they are starving, but we're not starving. So it's these words, the neuro neurons, linguistic language, the language of the mind that we do wrongly. We do not take it serious. So when we say these things to our head, oh, I'm eating like a pig. Okay, that's what you want. Your mind is listening. That's what you want. That's, okay. You'll get more of it. You'll get more of it. So thank you for sharing this. It's a very cool hack. If any one of you who's trying to lose weight and having a bit of problems, try this. Try this neuro-linguistic hack for 21 days. And yeah. then, you know, get in touch with us. Share with us. We'll be excited to yeah, like, absolutely. learn. And, you know, it, it, it fascinates me how powerful words can be because going on that whole concept, there is this law in neuroscience, the Hebb's law, that neurons mm-hmm. that wire together, fire together. Absolutely. And, what we are doing essentially is making this pattern of from like thought to words, which essentially will turn into an emotion and then into an energy. Yeah. And, you know, it becomes a part of your living. The sa- This is the same reason why you might think you don't deserve to be successful because you've told it or someone else has told it to you at a younger age, a couple mm. of times, maybe for 21 days. But this is why you're you feel like you're a failure most of yeah. the times. And it's the same reason why if you tell yourself that you want to be at your perfect weight and, you know, eating broccoli is good, chances are in a year's time, Mm -hmm. you're just going to love it because that's like Luz explained beautifully. That's how your brain works. That's how psychology works. That's how neurobiology works. And it all starts with an intention and taking one step, like telling yourself that you love one thing is not... Like, you know, you have to get a brain surgery or you have to do crazy biohacking equipment or meditate for like hours. Just tell yourself something and let your Mm -hmm. brain learn. It's an easy hack. So I'm grateful that you shared that. Thank you so much. Now, any other tip for parents? Any parents who are listening to this? What's your top tip? Yes. So I'm going to leave you with this metaphor that is very strong and I love it. It's from my very dear writer and mentor, Dr. Wayne, Wayne Dyer. And he uses this metaphor of the orange. Mm -hmm. If you cut an orange Mm -hmm. and squeeze an orange, what comes out? Juice. Juice. What kind of juice? Orange juice. Exactly. Can it come apple juice? No. No. Can it come banana juice? No. no, regardless of your state of mind, right? Let's say yeah. one day you, you go outside and somebody scream at you and you're so angry yeah. and then you cut the orange, cut it and squeeze, what will come out? Oranges. oranges. It will always come oranges, yeah. isn't it? Okay. We humans are also the same. Mm-hmm. We can only give what we have inside of us. Mm-hmm. So what you have inside to give, mm-hmm. if it is love, yeah. tolerance, patience, mm. compassion, you will give that to any and everybody that passes through you. Mm. But if you don't have that for yourself, and if you have resentment, frustration, bitterness, anger, rage, and this is linked to that, what you said before, of pretending not mm. to have certain emotions, well, guess what? That's what you're going to give also mm. to the people around you. Mm. You might suppress it for some time, but eventually it, it will be come. like wounds that when somebody presses a button, like a puss on, mm. a, on a wound, yeah. will come, the yellow will come out. Is it called puss? I Plus, don't know. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it will come out as a trigger. 
So you can only give what you have. So my question or my advice to parents would be, what is it that you have inside? What do you have inside? Ask yourself this question. What is it that I give to my partner? What is it that I give to my child? You know? And everyone has it? something unique oh, and yes. blessed inside them. Yes, right? yes, yes, absolutely. So choose consciously. I have chosen 10 years back on my journey of my own healing. I chose to work on myself that when my kids are around me, I can provide the same compassion, tolerance, love that I have built in myself because I did not have that. So I had to build it in me. Mm. I had to reframe my traumas, mm. reframe my generational patterns so that now I can give it to my children and it's paying off a hundred times more mm. because I can see it on the behavior of my children. I can see on their happiness, sense of belonging and fulfillment. So. Uh, yeah, thank you for sharing blessed. that. And it's the analogy that you shared is I'm going to steal it from you, but I will quote you every time I use it with the orange. <laughs> Dr. Wayne. Dr. Dr. Wayne. Wayne. Okay. I'll quote you and then you yes, quote Dr. Wayne. But you. it's it's beautiful just like the way you've explained it. And you know, normally what I would I tell people is that with this whole pretending thing, I always, you know, people keep telling me, Oh, you know, there's a fancy thing now from the Indian traditions, karma, the word. Mm -hmm. So most of the people would think that karma is just you do something bad and something bad happens to you. Mm -hmm. But in the essence of it, it's, that's not the, that's not the um, translation. Karma means action. And it means that every action that you take is going to have a consequence. Yeah. Meaning when like going back to your story, when you were decided to, you know, change something, you decided to take responsibility, yes. autonomy, yes. action, and that action led to a different lose in the next 20 years yes. than what you were designed to be. Correct. And the way I like to tell it is like, imagine like a mango tree, okay? You have seeds of a mango tree. You, you're the, you know, you take care of it. You put the mango seed inside. You water it. Do all these things. Now you're expecting it to become a. That's your action, and then the consequence is the mango tree comes up. But sometimes there are other factors that are involved. You know, a bird can come and take the, take mm -hmm. the seed and go away, or you know there must be a flood and everything washes away, mm -hmm. or a dog comes and takes it. So essentially, what the environmental factors you have very little control over but you do know that that mango tree it will never become a banana tree and it will not become an orange tree essentially it will become a if you give it the right time space energy mm -hmm. and intention it will end up becoming a mango tree Correct. and that's why you know with this whole thing of being not your authentic self or being trying to be like someone else because i saw someone on instagram and they were like this so for the next 10 days till you know i cannot hold it anymore i'm going to pretend to be someone else mm -hmm. you can try but essentially it's all about figuring out like you said who's your authentic self what is your unique mm -hmm. special purpose or passion or what you can bring into this world that can affect you know if not anyone else's your own life mm -hmm. so Luz, thank you so much for joining <laughs> me on this podcast i know we can keep on doing this for hours I and know. hours and i promise we might just arrange for another thing sometime Absolutely. in the future yes but you're doing so much of work like positive living ua you're having your own coaching you're like if people want to find you what's the best way because if someone listening to this like parents they realize that okay there was that aha moment like we yeah. mentioned <laughs> how do people get in touch with you thank you so much so as i told you i'm uh, i have a bachelor degree in psychology but I love also the psychodynamic techniques that I use, mm -hmm. which are four, and it's clinical hypnosis uh, that works basically on, you know, working on the limiting beliefs of people, yeah? That what you said, that constriction on the response that they have or they choose to have towards life. So limiting beliefs such as fear, phobias, or any childhood traumas that they somehow don't let go and it haunts them. I work with clinical hypnosis. Mm -hmm. The other approach that I have to psychotherapy is conscious parenting, which is addressed to parents 
not because I have a special formula that children will be more submissive or more obedient, but because <laughs> they need to work on themselves, right? Yeah. It's about the parents. It's not about the children. So I do work with parents in, in the case that they are ready to peel off those generational traumas and they are ready to heal because they understand the beauty that on their own healing, they will be the providers of that orange juice. They will be the providers of love, tolerance, connection to the children. So that's the second approach that I use for parents. The third one is compassionate inquiry. Compassionate inquiry works on the body, like you say, for diseases. So we know in therapy on counseling that, like you mentioned, many diseases like multiple, multiple sclerosis, fremovalgia, asthma, even cancer, so many diseases are stuck in the body because they were unprocessed traumas. So I work with compassionate inquiry to understand in a body level what's happening inside of you. So that's another psychotherapy approach that I have. And last but not least, neurolinguistic programming, which is what people, for example, have fears, irrational fears to public speaking or, you know, being confident or, you know, being the best version exactly or being just the best version that they are because all of us have our own uniqueness and authenticity so that reframing that words that are lingering in your head that you don't want to listen but they are there that's what i use when i use neurolinguistic programming so how can they reach me well they can go to www.positive livinguae.com and I also have an Instagram page with the same name, Positive Living UAE and I provide to all my patients uh, as a courtesy, a 30 minutes free consultation where I get to know them better. I ask questions about who they are and what is what they want to achieve through therapy and I do an assessment on this 30 to 45 minutes uh, consultation free that I'm happy to provide and yeah, I, I have clients all over the world. I can see them in person in my own clinic or I can see them through Zoom video okay. call. Yeah. So that makes it convenient. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so guys, you've got the URL. I'm going to put it in the show notes as well. And thank you so much for today. It's been a blessing to have you around no, and pleasure. for everyone else as well. My last question to you is, if you had a time machine and you could rewind back time, you could go back 10, 20, 30 years earlier and you could give yourself one piece of advice. What would that be? I mean, we would all give ourselves advice to buy Bitcoin, but apart from the Bitcoin, what else <laughs> exactly. would it be? Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Certainly, I had nine and I sold them before oh. they were... Anyway, okay. I'm going to go there. But what would I give to myself? Oh, dear Lord, I would say, stop. You know, you are enough. I would tell myself, you don't have to prove your worth by doing i would say just stop love you accept you you know yeah very powerful so guys if you're having some problems accepting yourself know that you're enough yeah know that you are loved by this whole universe and you're here for a reason and yeah just embrace that this is me cj signing off from the shift with cj podcast with luz maria from positive living uae Everyone, have a good day, have a good evening, have a blessed lifetime. Take care. Bye-bye, everyone. Your time and presence with us through this podcast is highly appreciated. If you want to learn more, then head over to our website, www.shiftwithcj.com.